Curacy is proud to be a supporter of ASIAL's podcast series. With insightful presenters and expansive subjects, the podcast series is a must if you want to keep at the forefront of the industry. Securacy, security workforce management software reimagined. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the ASIAL Security Insider podcast. And our guest today is Anna Harris. Anna is the Principal Advisor for Information Security at the Office of the Victorian Information Commissioner. Anna, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, you are presenting this year at the Security Conference uh, in Sydney from the 17th to 19th of August, all about why standards matter. So it seems only reasonable that that would be a good place to begin our discussion. Yes. So it is a very good topic and thank you for having me. Really privileged to come and join you all with Jason Brown along my alongside me. Uh, why standards matter is a good question. I think, you know, we're a bit biased. We're in this area. We do it every day. So, of course, we're always going to promote the topic. There's lots of reasons why they matter. Um, there, there being an ability for you to communicate um, to a variety of stakeholders using the same common language, an ability to set a baseline um, for all to follow. And, and really when you're communicating a certain level of standard, um, everyone is understands the topic area in a cohesive way. So it's a disciplined approach. It makes people uh, allow them to make decisions in a more confident manner. So yeah. they're the key reasons. I guess information security is is one of those areas where, you know, standards seem to be fairly obvious, even though they may not always exist across the board. At least when we have standards, we have something against which to measure because you cannot manage what you cannot measure. Um, but are there any sort of off the beaten track or or less obvious reasons why we really need to be considering standards i mean everyone sort of i guess gets the obvious ones which are you know how do you measure if you don't have proper metrics or proper standards but what are some of the things that you've come across that maybe the average security manager doesn't consider um it's a good question i think for us it also helps so on an international level, um, every some you know other countries don't have English as their first language. Uh, they may have different environments. Um, you know, we certainly go to other. You know, when we're engaging with a third party, we try and say, okay, can you give us the, you know, your uh, policies, and and they may not be as expected. So I guess it it helps in that respect to be able to manage those expectations because everyone has their their normal and they think what they're doing is the correct way. And not that there's a wrong way, but, you know, it allows you to give that level of comfort that we're all talking the same language. And I think it's hard also these days with risk coming into it. It's like, okay, you got your baseline. It's like, oh, but they're not applicable to me. So, how how do I manage all those? And a lot of people say, well, it's risk managed. So risk managed doesn't mean, you know, I've, oh, I'm not putting that control in. It's a way of you actually documenting and identifying all your risks and being able to say we're putting in those controls for those reasons and we don't need to for these other reasons. So 
Um, a lot of people do tout, you know, it's risk managed, it's risk managed, thinking that they don't need to put in the control. So I think the language around risk-based decisions needs a little bit more maturity, but I think it's, you know, sometimes standards doesn't mean compliance-based approach. Yeah. Now you mentioned interestingly, interestingly, a minute ago, you were like, well, well it, it's not like there's a wrong way to do it, but isn't that kind of the point of standards to say there almost is a right way and a wrong way of doing it? You know, these are the standards that you need to adhere to, or you should be adhering to. And if you're not adhering to these standards, if you're falling short of these standards, you're not meeting the benchmark. Um, yes, but I will always <laughs> say, um, with going back to that risk managed point of view, you can always justify why you didn't put in a control if it isn't applicable to your environment. So, yeah, you know, we come from the time when, yes, you know, standard, it was like, just tell me what I need, what controls I need to put in place and I'm secure, but it's not that conversation any longer. It's having that conversation with the decision makers to say, we don't need to put that, you know, when trying to prioritise, you know, where to spend money, um, you're always going to be able, you should be able to say, oh, we're not going to invest here because this is more important. This is a priority for the business. This is going to meet their business objectives. And so I think sometimes, you know, yeah, you know, there's that compliant, non-compliant I don't know. These days, it's more risk-based. As long as you can justify why you haven't put it in place, I think it should be, you know, for us, it's work. Yeah. Okay. And from the point of view of, I, I imagine, coming back to the international stuff that you were talking about before, different countries will have different lived experiences, different priorities, different threats. So then when you're working on something like an international standard, how does that work? How do you figure out what's important to everyone and what can be left on the table? Oh, wow. I mean, Jason, I probably can't wait to talk about that one. So, you know, <laughs> he's been to many of the international plenaries as our head of delegation on the um, international space. And it's, it's not easy. Like, it is a conversation and I think at the end of the day, you know, because it is consensus driven and these projects that develop the standards, they're not just done overnight. You know, it's a 36-month project, you know, it's back and forth at different stages from committee drafts to um, draft international standards to final drafts. You know, there's a lot of stages along the way for you to put in your feedback. At the end of the day, you have to make a decision is it worth the fight? If you feel strongly enough to put, you know, some content in or, um, you know, I guess you you get some people on side, you have your friendly countries, you have, your, you know, it's, it's all a bit of a, you know, um, a, not a game, but a, a way you need to be able to, you know, work and operate. Um, yep. You know, I guess, you know, I've got to be able to um, know which strings to pull. And, and Jason does it really well. It's sometimes it's like herding cats. But at the end of the day, I you know, with all that input, um, you get a better product because, you know, everyone is able to bring that to the table. And you can say, oh, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. I didn't think of it from that perspective. It wasn't, it's not on our radar, you know. Um, so I think you do get to a better product in the end. It is a little bit tough sometimes, but you got to be able to, roll with it and say okay can I 
deal with it being, you know, this not being in the document? Can I deal with it, yeah. you know, moving forward? Now, on the on the subject of striking a balance and figuring out what's important and what's not, you sort of work across and manage across three different areas protection of data security and information security, privacy and freedom of information. How on earth do you strike a balance between those three things? Because some might believe that protection of data is at complete odds with freedom of information. Yeah, yes, we hear that a lot as a regulate as the regulator in Victoria. And Yes, I know my, you know, expertise lies in information security, but we have to work with our other privacy and public access or freedom of information experts. And it's not, you know, for security, it's not a matter of, um, you know, keeping it closed. It's a matter of handling the information appropriately. And at the end of the day, it does complement the features of, you know, Um, protecting personal information or being able to um, access it the right way, you know, so in terms of, you know, should this be released, you know, what are, you know, is there anything sensitive in it, you know? So I don't think that we're, you know, I know people say that we're um, opposite ends of the spectrum, but we're not, we're still talking about handling information appropriately, whether it's releasing it or keeping it, you know, secure for good reason. Yeah. Now, on the privacy piece, this is an interesting one because I guess, you know, it's reasonable to assume, even though we should never assume, it's reasonable to assume, or should I say presume, on some level, that the world has changed dramatically since the introduction of social media as we know it in 2006. How has the concept of privacy changed in your world? Um. I think it's actually made people more aware that of where their information is going. So it's not actually a bad thing. I think um, it's it's enabling people to make those decisions about, oh, no, I'm not comfortable with my information being used in that manner and questioning it, you know, and feeling okay to question it because they can. And, yeah, those privacy policies, you know, obviously they made long so you know you don't you just click accept because you want to get to the end game but I think um, people are more uh, able now or understand that where their information is going and can make those choices in the end. Yep I guess in the security space in which we operate organizations tend to through a variety of systems interactions and, and and other means collect end up collecting a huge amount of data about employees if not customers at least employees over the course of one's employment from you know more controversially biometric data through to human resources data personal information all sorts of things what are some of the more common mistakes that you're seeing organizations make around the collection and i i suppose um conservation of private data um, I guess tech, tech moves and, you know, maybe organisations don't move as fast. Uh, people are, you know, when they're using their personal devices, they're maybe using more up-to-date tech, but uh, organisations move a little bit more slowly. So, you know, those legacy systems potentially are, you know, hindering um, the way information should be, um, could be used better. There's also that, you know, 
people organizations also like to move with tech with the times and technology but you know sometimes their projects or their migration is a bit lacking so then there's issues with you know incorrect you know misconfigurations incorrect permissions you know so potentially um information's not handled as, as it should as they migrate from old to new systems so there's those risks um and yeah you're right like there is an a collect an over collection of information i think at the end of the day they need to be able to tell staff personnel what information has been collected and how it's been handled and the ability to correct it because yes as new systems are bolted on it's like oh and Oh, can you also give us your mobile number because we need to, you know, do SMS alerts, you know, that, yeah. you know, so then another piece of information gets collected. So, okay, um, I, yep. So, you know, I guess it's just, um, it just gets a bit, yeah, much when there's a lot of data getting collected and a different systems, um, yeah, being enabled. I guess this is where the standards piece comes back into it around why we need standards. And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm assuming there are standards around what companies can and can't collect, what they can and can't keep, how they must and must not keep it and those sorts of things. But before we get to that piece, I guess one of the common myths and misconceptions that people have is that when they're issued a work laptop or when they're issued a work phone, they have a reasonable expectation to a certain level of privacy on those devices. But do they? That's a good question. I mean, you know, from the old school thinking, it's like, well, that's not a personal device. You know, that's works property. So you need to be professional on it. And anything that you do personally, yes, there may be acceptable use and reasonableness in terms of personal stuff. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're doing that on a work device. So you need to be able to understand that if there's something that needs to be done, the it's the organization's device. Um, as long as you're a crosser, like we certainly give staff, you know, hey, you can use that personal device, but do you understand that potentially we may need to, you know, wipe it if something, if there's an incident or we may need to access it. So I guess they need to just know these are the, you know, you can do it, but, you know, make sure you understand the reasons behind, you know, at the end of the day, it is the organisation. So, yeah. And to come back to the original question around standards, with things yeah. like that, when it comes to the use of work devices, such as phones, tablets, mobile phones, computers, are there or should there be standards around, you know, what companies can and can't expect or how they do and don't use information, what they can and can't look at? Because I guess the the challenge for a lot of security managers is, you know, am I able to go back and look through staff emails uh, for insider threats on a work laptop? Yes. Yeah, so I, yeah, I guess it comes back to that acceptable use, but uh, yeah, I, 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 some people, well, you'd think if you're using a work device for personal things, you'd think it's because they, there's controls there, you know, I'm protected. If I click on a link, there's going to be some malware, there's going to, you know, um, anti-malware, anti-spam filtering, you know, so I'm a bit more protected than if I use a device that hasn't got the bee's needs of controls. And um, the, the issue with 
solely relying on, oh, I've put in every single control that was in that standard, so therefore I am secure, is not necessarily the way standards are written. They're done in a way of these are the things that you should consider um, and these are a good baseline, but it's not the it's not telling you that it's going to be the only thing you need to do. So, you know, you don't want to be at risk of thinking that everything you put in place is um, going to make you that, you know, um, super secure. The other thing I was going to say was that standards are written in a way that they will say, you know, in order to develop a, a collection notice or your consent, you know, these are the things you need to consider. They don't tell you the exact words to use. So you just need, you know, standards aren't for that. They tell you the things that you need to be mindful of um, when you're implementing something or in a, in a particular, you know, um, organisation, you know, sector specific things. Yeah. So we've got a few minutes left. Uh, in, in closing, perhaps walk me through what sorts of things can people attending the session that you're you're running with Jason at the conference expect to learn? Okay, so Jason and I will be running through, I guess, some key points about why standards matter. You know, running through why it's it's important and why we have it. So the why is, and then we'll be running through some lived examples because we have gone through it, gone, been part of international committees. We've seen the things that go on in the back and, you know, the reasons why it helps um, an environment in the long term. So, yes, that's what we'll be running through. Yeah. And as a security manager for a corporation, a government department, my own security company, whatever it may be, um, you know, why is it important for me to know about the sorts of things that you're going to be discussing? Because it's not just for, you know, a specific sector. These are documents that can be used from anyone, from small business to large corporations. And even sometimes, you know, they will cover things that you could do personally in your life. So, you know, I don't think it's just for a particular sector. It's not for a particular individual. I think you will still get a lot out of it. And at the end of the day, if you're really interested, you can join one of the committees. Yeah. And am I correct in assuming, uh, again, there's that terrible word that if, you know, I'm a, a smaller or newer business uh, or even a medium-sized business and I'm wanting to respond to a lot of government tenders or even larger tenders, I need to understand how standards work, I need to understand what standards I am and aren't possibly compliant with? Look, I think it, it doesn't hurt to be across it because at the end of the day, yes, you're right, um, you know, when there are tenders out there, they will, they should um, list the expectations. You know, we expect to be blah, you know, ISO blah, compliant or, you know, a level of... Um, security at this level it you know it it's an education awareness you know exercise I think that it it's important for I know it's a big task but small and medium or enterprises should also be across what's out there for themselves and be then when responding to those types of you know tenders excellent 
Well, look, Anna, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. If people would like to know more, you are going to be presenting at four o'clock on the afternoon of day one at the Security Expo from the 17th to the 19th of August at the ICC in Sydney as part of the Security Exhibition. Uh, you are co-presenting with Jason Brown of TELUS Australia, uh, who's now grown a goatee by the looks of his photo here. And I'm going to start asking him why he's adopted Colonel Sanders persona. Um, and if you'd like to know more about the podcast, you can find them on Blurberry, Spotify, iTunes, and all the other great places that you find them. Thank you once again. Security is proud to be a supporter of ASIAL's podcast series. With insightful presenters and expansive subjects, the podcast series is a must if you want to keep at the forefront of the industry. Security. Security workforce management software reimagined.